today we have, I, I have the privilege and the honor of, of starting off our Christmas series. And one of the Christmas movies that our family watches every year is called I'll Be Home for Christmas. It's about this student, a young adult student named Jake, who, who's from the East Coast, so like New York. But he's going to college out here in, in California. And he's trying to get back home for Christmas. Now, Jake hasn't been home in years. He doesn't want to go home. He doesn't want to be around his family. He's enjoying life in California. He's living the California dream. And the only reason that he's going home is because he was promised a classic Porsche, right? Like this, like this is like, this is common, right? If you just come home for Christmas, we'll give you a classic Porsche sports car. And so he's like, of course I'm coming home. And the movie, I won't give away, I won't, I won't, there's no, no spoiler alerts. I'm not going to give away the movie if you want to watch it. It's great. It's clean. It's wholesome. But the whole movie is about the struggle and the trials and the difficulties that Jake has just trying to get home for Christmas. And just like classic Christmas movie, right near the end, he has this dramatic change of heart and he suddenly realizes what the meaning of Christmas is. But Jake almost misses Christmas. Missing Christmas is the worst. When I was about seven years old, I caught a stomach bug the morning of Christmas Eve. I was so sick. I spent the entire day either in my room or in the restroom or running between the two. All day long. I woke up Christmas morning, I found myself curled up in a ball, covered in a blanket on the couch while the family was opening Christmas presents and they were going through all the excitement all day long. I never left the couch. Obviously, this was a traumatic experience for me because this is probably my earliest Christmas memory, being sick on Christmas. I missed all the games, all the festivities. I missed Christmas dinner. Now I still, you know, I still had presents and stuff, but I missed opening every opening the gifts with with my family and and all of it. No one wants to miss Christmas. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look through the the story of of the birth of Jesus, the Christmas story. And we're going to look at the people in the story that missed Christmas, even though it was happening right in front of them, sometimes right underneath their nose. They missed it. Or as in the case, in, in, in the person that we're going to look at today, they almost missed Christmas. So today we're going to look at Joseph, who almost missed Christmas. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screens. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child has been, uh, who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, 
which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son and he called his name Jesus. Joseph had a plan. Joseph had a plan for his life. He had a plan for his family, for, for his, his, his fiance Mary. And Mary getting pregnant, not by him, was not part of his plan. This was a problem. Mary had literally broken the law. The Jewish law, Mary broke the law by getting pregnant. Now seriously, I want you just to, to kind of put yourself in Joseph's sandals for a moment. And consider and think what, you, what the reaction would have been like when Mary came to him and said, Joseph, we need to talk. I'm pregnant. But listen, listen, Joseph, I never cheated on you. God did this. I'm still a virgin. Your world absolutely crashes and crumbles down around you. Devastated. That your fiance, Mary, would have sex with someone and then have what they would call the chutzpah. To say that God did this. God would never. Have you ever said God would never? Only to find out that he would and actually already did. But for an angelic intervention, Joseph would have missed the plan of God for his life. See, what looked like a problem was actually the plan. This was the plan of God. God doesn't always, or maybe we should say God rarely works in the way that we want or in the way that we expect him to. See, God is outside the little, nice little boxes that we like to put him in and think, okay, this is how God works, right? Joseph had one of those boxes, right? That's not how babies come. Not the way that Mary's saying that this happened. That's his box. God doesn't do that. But if we insist that God does things our way and that God fits inside that nice, neat little box that we have, we're going to end up missing out on God's plan for our life. When I was preparing to go to Bible college and train for ministry, um, I had applied for student financing applied for student financing because I didn't have any money. I didn't have any money saved up. I had nothing, no money to pay for college. And this was the only way that I could see how I could possibly pay for school. So after applying for student financing, I got this letter back saying that I only qualified for about 50% of what I needed to pay for schooling. And then there was my living expenses on top. I didn't see how I was going to be able to make this work with only half of what I needed and then I needed to have money to live on. So I decided that what the responsible thing to do, what the, what the right thing to do, would be to wait a year, work for an entire year, save up as much money as I could and then go off to school so that I could pay for school. And so that was my plan. I'm like, okay, I'm not, I'm not gonna go to school. I'm gonna wait. My pastor heard about it and he called me and he said, hey, can we, uh, can we go for a drive? So he, he swung by my house and he, he picked me up. And he began to tell me the story of what it was like for him when he went to Bible college. And he began to talk about the financial breakthroughs and the financial miracles that he had received when he was in college so that he could get through. And he challenged me 
to trust God to provide through the problem. I listened to him and I ended up changing my mind and I went to school with what I had and I trusted God for the rest. And throughout that, throughout that year and actually throughout all four years, I saw financial miracle after financial miracle after financial miracle. And I was able to pay for the entire year's worth of schooling, even though I only had, had half, and I was able to pay for my living expenses. In fact, at the end, when, when, when Renee and I graduated, we got married when we were in college, and when we graduated, we never paid a single payment on our student debt. God paid it all. Not one single payment we made. In one lump sum, we wrote a check and we sent it off to the student financing department, and we paid everything in full. See, what looked like a problem turned out to be God's plan of provision for me. And I would have missed it if I would have dug my heels in and said, no, this is a problem. I'm going to solve the problem on my own. I would have missed out on God's plan for me if I had held tightly to my thought that that's not how God would send me to school. How could I possibly go to school if I didn't even have the money to pay for it? Don't miss God's plan for your life because all you see are the problems. There's a story that's told of a, of a shoe salesman that uh, his company sends him over to Africa to test the African market. And he goes over there and after two weeks, he sends word back and he said, please, please bring me home. Nobody over here wears shoes. And so he goes home. The company in turn sends another salesman over there. And then after two weeks, that salesman sends word back and says, send all the shoes that you can. Nobody here has shoes. See, do you see a problem or do you see the plan? It's really all about how you look at it. You know, we can see, these, we can see the, the issues that happen in front of us. And whether there are things like that where, you know, I don't have any money or, or like in Joseph's situation, this is a serious problem. Or something traumatic or horrific happens to you. And it's very painful Paul writes in the book of Romans, he says, I work all things together for good for those who love me, who are called according to my purposes. See, we, can, we need to trust God that in the face of the problem, that he's working it together for good. Now listen to me, not every problem that comes your way is, is this God obstacle, right? That's what it was for Joseph. That was a God obstacle. That was actually the plan. But he saw the plan and he looked at it and he said, man, that's a problem. But sometimes these traumatic things happen to us and they are a problem and they are horrific and they leave us scarred and wounded inside. But God says, I can take your problem, I can take your pain and I can make it a place of ministry and I can turn that and work it together for good. I can bring good things out of the ashes of your life if you will just trust me. Joseph saw pregnant Mary and almost missed out on what God was doing. So what looked like a problem was actually the plan. So do you see the problem, or do you see the plan? Now Joseph wasn't a vengeful man. Joseph was actually a really good man. He was kind, he was loving, he was righteous, and he loved Mary so much. And you can see, even though like, as, as we're reading in the portion of Scripture, it doesn't talk about how much Joseph loved Mary, but this is how you know how much he loved her because he planned to send her away secretly. See, 
by law, if an engaged virgin was found to have had sex with another man outside of the, the engagement agreement, she had broken the law. She was considered a harlot, and the punishment was death by stoning. That was the law. And that's what Mary had coming to her. So Joseph was fully within his rights to have Mary dragged out in front of all the people of her town, of their community, and watch while they killed her by throwing stones at her. But he wanted to spare her because Joseph loved her. This is why his plan was to divorce her and send her away in secret. He was showing mercy. See, this was the righteous thing to do. But sometimes doing the righteous thing is the wrong thing. See, we can easily get caught up with trying to do what looks right. To make sure that we're living our lives in such a way as it, it appears righteous. We're trying to do the righteous thing, right? I mean, I mean the, Bible, the Bible does say, avoid every appearance of evil, right? Right? The Bible says that. And so we, we try and live our lives in such a way that we are avoiding every appearance of evil and we are doing the righteous things. We might look at the mess of the world or the dirt that comes from living a life that's apart from Jesus and think, man, I, I should not be associated with that. And we, we, we will do our best to keep distant from those things because I need to look like a good, I need to look like a good Christian, right? It seems like the righteous thing to do. Listen, before Jesus' death and resurrection, like in, in the Old Testament, People became unclean by external things. So if they, if they touched a dead body or if they had mold in their home and they, they tried to clean it up or they wore clothes of two different fabrics that were, meant, that were woven together and they, they wore those things, they became unclean. And they had to separate themselves from their community. They had to offer sacrifices for themselves to be clean again. There were ceremonial washings. There was all of this stuff because the, the, the external things made them unclean, even if it was unintentional. Jesus came and Jesus taught that, that it's not the things from the outside that make us clean or unclean, but it, it's, what, it's what comes out of us. It's what comes from the inside to the outside that makes us clean or, or unclean. It's evil thoughts. It's thoughts of adultery and deceit and slander and anger and malice and judgment. These things, they come from within us and they come out of us and they defile us. They make us unclean. So a pastor whose name is Tommy Barnett. He pastors a, a, a large church in Phoenix called Phoenix First Assembly. His son uh, pioneered the LA Dream Center, which we're taking a trip. Um, Kaylee is leading a trip on December the 11th to go up and serve for a day at the LA Dream Center. If you've never been, it's absolutely remarkable. It literally life-changing. It's incredible. Renee's mom left her job. She was living in Canada. She left her job and came uh, and like quit it all and put everything in storage and she moved to LA for six months just to serve uh, at, at the Dream Center. It's absolutely incredible. So if you want to go and have your life changed, talk, talk to Kaylee about that. So Tommy, Tommy Barnett writes of this story in his book. His book is called What If? And it's about televangelist Jim Baker. So Jim Baker had a moral failure and he was convicted of financial fraud. This is in the 80s, kind of mid, early to mid 80s. And he's in jail. And God started speaking to Tommy about visiting, visiting Jim Baker in prison. And this is what he wrote. 
He says, I knew that the Lord wanted me to do it, but I didn't want to, even though he was a friend. So these guys were friends. He said, Jim's conviction invited ridicule from many corners of our society, especially condemnation from Christian leaders for hypocrisy. He's like, man, I, I couldn't even visit him in secret because word would get out. So I told the Lord, if I go see him, my reputation will be damaged. And the Lord responded, Tommy, your reputation isn't all that hot anyway. Just go. So Tommy goes to see Jim Baker in prison. And when he gets there, Jim literally falls apart. He, he falls on Tommy's shoulder and he stands there. He is weeping. And Tommy says, he's the shell of a man that I knew. And he said, Tommy, only one other person has come to see me. See, Tommy wanted to do what was the righteous thing. What he ended up doing was the right thing to go and see him. See, you know what? If you're familiar with the story or even just by this, the, the, the small details that I gave, what Jim Baker did was very wrong. It was very wrong. But he's still a son of God. He's just a son of God that fell really hard. And he fell in front of literally the entire nation. See, sometimes doing the righteous thing is the wrong thing. God isn't too concerned with what people think about us. We, on the other hand, we are generally very concerned with what people think about us, which is why, you know, you get up in the morning and you shower, thank you, you know, and you put on clean clothes and, you know, you make yourself look presentable. Why? Because we're concerned what people think about us. We do things so as that people will look at us in, 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 a, in a pleasing light. God often asks us to do things that are outside of our comfort zone. He often asks us to do things that make us look foolish in the eyes of people. If you're not aware, God's not interested in building your reputation but he's very interested in building your obedience and he's very interested in, in building your trust in him. You know, God had the prophet Isaiah walk around naked for three years as a prophetic act towards Egypt and Ethiopia about what God was speaking to those nations. Not so much concerned with Isaiah's reputation. He had Ezekiel lay down on the ground on his, on his left side for 390 straight days. Like, can you imagine? I get stiff if I stay in bed longer than eight and a half hours. I get up, I'm like, oh my gosh, my back. He's laying down on his left side for 390 straight days. And then when he's like, he's on day 390 and God says, hey, Ezekiel, I want you to roll over and lay on your right side now for 40 days. As a symbol of the coming judgment against Israel and Judah. I mean, but God would never. Don't say God would never. This is what God was asking Joseph to do. Verse 24 and 25, as we read, it says, Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This wasn't a problem. This was the plan. And following the plan was going to make Joseph look like a fool. See, as you read this passage of Scripture, the, you know, these verses, if you read them and you listen very, very closely, you can still hear the whispers of the people. What is Joseph doing? Mary cheated on him. 
She's a whore. What fool stays with a woman like that? That boy is slumming it. Has he no respect for himself? Has he no morals? Is he just going to pretend that that baby is his? Because we all know that's not his baby. Joseph 100% looked like a fool. Make no mistake. And listen, he wasn't forced into this. We read this passage of scripture. There's no ultimatum here. It's not like he didn't have a choice in the matter. He realized this was God's plan and following the plan of God might make you look like a fool for God. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 25 and 27, Paul writes, For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. And he says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. So God's not worried about my reputation. He's not trying to protect what people may or may not think about me or say about me. He's not concerned with your comfort. He has a plan, and that plan rarely looks like what we think it should look like. But you can guarantee that people are going to think you are crazy when you follow that plan. But who do you want to please? you want to please God, or do you want to please man? We often, me included, we often like to think of ourselves as, well, we are, we are wise, we are strong, we are noble. But that's not who God chooses. It does not say that God chose the wise and the strong and the noble. It says that God chose the foolish and the weak and the base to showcase his wisdom, his strength, and his honor through us. Isaiah 55 and verse 9 says, For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Never be surprised when God does not make sense. When what God is asking you to do is like, God, that doesn't compute. Honestly, though, I, I, I don't want to serve a God that I understand and comprehend. I want to serve a God that I know. I know him. I have a relationship with him. But if my mind is able to understand all that there is of God, then I've just reduced God to the size of a man. I want him to do things that I don't understand. What are you doing? Understanding isn't required. Relationship is. Right? I've... <laughs> I've looked like a fool following the plan of God more times than I can actually remember. And every time I look like a fool for God and God's plan comes together, he looks awesome. Because no one's looking at me thinking, I know that was Craig. He's smart and he is wise and he is very strategic. No, one's, no one is looking at me like that. I know it's not me. Everybody else knows it's not me. When I, chose, when I chose to give my life to Jesus, I had friends lining up to tell me how ridiculous I was, how foolish I was, how I was throwing my life away by following this Jesus. I have those same people, those same friends have now contacted me over the years and been like, how did you get where you are? How did, they, they look at my life and they're like, how, how did that happen? And I have one answer for them. It's the same answer every time. I just followed Jesus, and this is where it got me. They know it's not me. People like how the end looks. 
right? We all like how the end looks. We all like the empty tomb, the resurrection. That looks really great. Jesus had to go through the cross to get there. No one likes how the journey looks. We all look like how the end looks, right? I remember one time, one time I had a job. I was a branch manager of a day labor company. And what we did is we contracted with other companies who needed people to work for them for just, just a day. And so our deal was, if you work a day, you'll get paid a day. At the end of the day, you come back to our office and we give you a paycheck. Same day. You work a day, pay a day. And I was the manager of, of, of one of the branches. So I, I supplied workers to, you know, to companies all over the city that we were living at. It was an all-consuming job. I started in the office. I turned the lights on at 5 a.m. because that's when we started sending people out to go to work at 5 a.m., which meant I was up at 4 a.m. to drive into the office. And I, was still, I would still get phone calls at 7 o'clock at night at home. And the, 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 I had one, one person who worked for me in the office, and I was supposed to work like a normal shift, you know, like 8 to 9 to 10 hours, and then she was supposed to take over, and she was supposed to cut paychecks for everybody when they returned. She would call me continuously and she was so contentious it was such a it was a a horrible working environment and I couldn't fire her even though I had the authority because she was really good friends with my boss and so my hands were tied there was nothing that I could do and so Renee and I prayed it was it was a difficult season and we felt like okay you know what it's it's not worth it we felt like God was saying just go ahead and resign give your two weeks notice and so this this was my plan Renee had an uncle that was in, in town visiting her mom. And he was a, a, a wise and godly man. We really respected him, really looked up to him. And he heard about what was going on and he heard about my plan. I was just, I was just going to give my, my two weeks notice and I was going to resign. And he, he's talking to me and he goes, hey, don't do that. Don't, don't ever leave where you are without have something to go to. That's just the wise thing to do. And so he's counseling me on not to, not to resign until I find another job so that there's no gap. And I listened to, them, I, to him, and I, I considered what he said. And so Renee and I went back into prayer. God, what is it that we're supposed to be doing here? And we still felt like I was supposed to resign. So I went ahead and resigned. And um, it was like two days before my last day, I got a new job. And the job was everything that I needed, everything that I could have hoped for. It was, a, it was a, a better schedule. It was better money. And everything came through. Renee's uncle was still in town. He came back to me and he said, you know what? You were right. You, you, did hear, you were hearing from God. See, when you follow the plan of God, there are going to be people who look at you and be like, that is not a wise thing to do. That's not the smart choice. Now, listen, I'm not saying that you don't listen to wise counsel. You, I heard him. It wasn't like I shut him down and be like, no, 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 God said. Because immediately, listen, if you're having a conversation with someone and you're like, hey, what, you're, like, you're talking about a decision you want to make and you drop God said, the conversation's over. Because I'm not about to argue with God. So if you're coming to me looking for wisdom and you're like, hey, but God said, I'm like, cool, you, you do that then because I am not God's voice in your life. God's very good at being his voice in your life. Right? But I listened to what he was saying. I considered it. And we went back into prayer. And it was like we really felt that's, we were, that I was supposed to resign. Seemed like it was the foolish thing to do. Turned out to be the right thing to do. Because I'll choose looking like a fool for God all day, every day, over being wise in my eyes or wise in other people's eyes. See, Joseph almost missed Christmas because he only saw the problem. He wanted to do the righteous thing. 
And he would have missed out not only on what God had for his life, because he played an integral part in this story and in the life of Jesus. This is his dad, his earthly father. He would have missed out on that. But not only planned for his life, but he would have missed out on the plan for all of humanity. Instead, he chose to follow the plan, to do the right thing and to look like a fool in the eyes of people. But he was present for the greatest birth in all of human history. He didn't miss it. So don't miss what Jesus has for you because you only see the problem and you can't see the plan. Be careful in doing what looks like the righteous thing because sometimes the righteous thing is the wrong thing. And know this, that following the plan of God might make you look like a fool for God, but that's okay. Because nothing compares to following God's plan for your life. Nothing. Missing Christmas really means missing Jesus. That's really what it boils down to. And I don't want to be that guy. I never want to be that guy that misses Jesus and what he's doing. Right here, right now. I don't want to miss a thing that he has for me. I don't want you to miss a thing that he has for you. It's my hope for you. As we, as we talk about this, that you really consider what is it that Jesus is doing in your life and you don't miss what he's doing. Let's pray. God, I thank you that I don't understand you. I can read in your word, your revelation and what's revealed to me and that I understand, but that's just a portion of you. I, I don't fully understand all of you. And I'm okay with that. Holy Spirit, help us to not miss Jesus. Not in this season. Not now, not ever. Would you give us eyes to see that when problems come our way, we can see the plan? Would you give us the courage to do the right thing, even if it doesn't look like it's the righteous thing? And give us hearts that desire to please you only and not please people where we'd be willing to look like fools for you knowing that we're following you. And there's no better place to be than in the middle of your will for our lives. God, I pray that we would not, not only not miss Christmas, but we would not miss Jesus and what he's doing in our lives in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.